Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, the question is asked, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So great a salvation. And then right after that, the apostle writes, which was at first declared unto us by the Lord, and then declared to us by those who heard the Lord. And so we'll look at the, the Lord's words, and then we'll also follow those up with the words of those who heard the Lord in regard to salvation. The question has been asked long before us, what must I do to be saved? When Paul was in Philippi, the jailer asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16, 30 and 31. Saul of is on his way to Damascus met the Lord. And he said, Acts 22 and verse 10, Lord, what would you have me to do? The people on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 36-38, said, Lord, what shall we do about our sins? What shall we do with our sins? In Matthew 19, the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, 16-22, he asked the Lord, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And not long after that, Matthew 19, 23 and 24, Jesus' own disciples said, Well, Lord, who then can be saved? So the question, which is the most important question of all times, what must I do to be saved, has been asked. And we should ask it too. And we should know how to answer that question. Most gratefully, the Lord has he has cleared the way. The Lord has spoken, and we can read about it. And so follow along with me this morning. We're going to look at seven steps, seven steps to, to salvation, and see what we think. This comes right from the words of Jesus, and we'll see them followed up by his own hearers. First of all, to receive salvation, we must leave and receive. Matthew 19.29. Matthew 19.29. You remember when Jesus said, Everyone who, who leaves houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, and lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and eternal life, and shall inherit eternal life. You see that? And so, in order to have salvation, we must leave and receive. When Jesus says we must leave all these things, He's saying in order to receive salvation, there must be a major shift in our lives. There must be a major shift in our priorities, in what we are loyal to, in our purposes. Indeed, Jesus becomes our Lord. When we leave, there must be a major shift. 
Look right there in your Bible in Luke 5, in verse 11, you will see that when Jesus came to Peter, James, and John, Luke 5, 11, that they left everything. They left all and followed Him. Luke 5, 11. And look also same chapter, Luke 5, 27, when Jesus came to, to Levi or Matthew and said, follow me, he left all and followed him. Jumping way over to Philippians 3, another example, Philippians 3, 7 and 8, Paul says, I suffer the loss of all things and I count all these things but as rubbish that I might gain Christ. The first step is to leave and receive. You see, there has to be a major shift of priorities in our lives. My dad was a wall builder. But before he was a wall builder, he was a, he was a person who would tear down walls. He loved to tear down a wall and build it back. He did that at our little house there on Highway 5 in Jasper, Alabama. I don't know how many times, but while we were still at home, he tore down a wall in the living room to make the living room bigger. And then when we were left, he built that wall back and knocked off a wall next to his bedroom to make his bedroom bigger. But here's the thing. Sometimes when we walk in the house, we would say, well, Dad is up to something because things would be everywhere. The house did not look like itself. There had been a major shift that has taken place in the conversation first of mom and dad and then the furniture and tables and we knew something was up. Even so, when we come in contact with the Lord, when we look closely at His Word, there must be a major shift that takes place in our lives and if we're not willing to change as the Lord would change us, then salvation will never be ours. You see, Jesus says in Luke 14, 33, except you are willing to renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Notice that closely. Unless you are willing to renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. All right, so that's our first step, to leave and to receive. Step Number two is to hear and believe. Our next scripture, this is right from the Lord, John 5 and 24. Notice what Jesus says in John 5 and 24. He will say something like, He that hears my word and believes him who sent me, uh, that person will have eternal life. You see that? He who hears my word and then believes him, the Father, who sent me, that person will have eternal life. In order to receive salvation, you see, we don't wait around for some nudge or push from God. To receive salvation, we don't wait around to experience some feeling or some unusual thing to receive salvation. No, to receive salvation, we must seek out the Word of God and then seek to hear it, and that will lead us to believe. To believe. So we must be about hearing from God and then believing in Him. 
Notice how the Hebrew writer states it in Hebrews 4 and verse 2. Hebrews 4 and verse 2. The apostle there writes, he says, you heard the message of the gospel. You heard the message, but it did not benefit you because it, you didn't have faith. It was not mixed with faith. It takes both to please the Lord. Both a hearing and a believing in Him. And this is exactly what we find happening in the book of Acts. What's the big deal about the book of Acts? The book of Acts is a recording of several people who come to know the Lord, who come to receive salvation. Let's notice an instance there in Acts 18 in verse 8. The Apostle Paul is in the city of Corinth, and notice how this is stated. Just kind of, it kind of sums up someone's conversion to Christ. Acts 18 verse 8 says, the people hearing Paul, it says there, they hearing, believing, and were baptized. Okay. Just sums up their conversion just like. And hearing Paul, they believed and were baptized. Now back up to Acts chapter 8, verses 5 to 13 there. In Acts 8, in verse 5, we have another preacher coming into the area. But this time, he's, he is Philip, and he's coming into the area of Samaria. And notice how that he comes and he preaches Christ, Acts 8 and verse 5. And then verse 6 says, And the people gave heed to what he was saying. Okay. And then let your eyes go down to verse 12, which says that as they heard what Philip was saying, they believed the message he was preaching about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, and they were baptized. You see, you see how the hearing and the believing go together. We're not surprised by that because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Second step. Okay, this doesn't get us there to salvation, but it's a very important step. And that is hearing and, and believing. Hearing and believing. It puts us on the path to salvation. It puts us on downward on the path to salvation. So that's step number two. Step number three is to believe and obey. John 3, 36. John 3 and 36. Jesus had been speaking, and you remember the background here in John 3, how he had spoken to Nicodemus about the new birth and salvation. Notice what it says here in John 3 and 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Notice that carefully. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son does not get to see life, but rather the wrath of God abides on him. So you see now that step number three is to believe and obey. The Lord says it himself very plainly uh, there. Now the ideal of faith, we, we've all heard, we've got very good friends, you've got good friends, I've got good friends, and we hear them say so often, and we hear it in their mind, and they have the idea that to give a 
to give a, a mental nod toward what Jesus has done on the cross, well, that brings them salvation. Okay. If, if a person would just simply admit in their mind that Jesus is the Son of God, then in our friend's mind or our family member's mind, that brings them uh, salvation. Okay. But that's not the ideal of faith according to Jesus. There are three ideals about faith is very important. Okay? Faith involves, number one, accepting what God says. Accept it. Receive it. Accepting what God says. And then secondly, trusting what God says. And then thirdly, acting upon what God says. Okay? That's why Jesus says it the way he says it in, in John 3 and, and 36. We must first accept what God says and then trust what God says. And then finally, we must act upon what God says. Now, there's a great illustration of this. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Great illustration here from Romans 5 and verse 1. Paul begins Romans 5 by saying, Therefore, we are justified by, by faith, and therefore we receive peace uh, through Jesus Christ. Okay, you see that? Therefore, being justified by faith, we receive peace through Jesus Christ. But the illustration of faith here is back in Romans 4. Why would we go back into Romans 4? Well, because Romans 5 begins with the word therefore. In other words, Paul is basing what he's saying on something he had just said in Romans 4. He had been talking about the great faith of Abraham. So read with me about the great faith of Abraham Romans 4, 19 through uh, 21. Romans 4, 19 to 21, talking about Abraham's faith and Sarah. Okay, so I'll begin in verse 19, Romans 4. He, Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, you remember all that, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not weaken in faith. And verse 20, no distrust, distrust, no wavering, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Verse 21, being fully convinced that, that what God, that God was able to do what he had promised, what God had promised, he was fully persuaded that God was able to do that. So notice how that Abraham, as he considered what God said to him about having a son, okay, along about this time next year, so you can imagine Abraham being uh, about 99 or so and Sarah being about 89 or so, he accepted what God said, he trusted what God said, but then let me ask you this, did he act upon what God said? He did. He did. Now how did Abraham and Sarah act upon what God said? Okay. Well, we don't have to spell it out, do we? Sarah and Abraham did what husbands and wives do together in order to bring about a child. Okay. Isaac was not a miraculous conception. And so not only did Abraham accept what God said and trust what God said, 
But he acted upon what God said. Now, who was it that was responsible for bringing Isaac to them? God. But how did Abraham respond in faith? He accepted it, he trusted it, and then he acted upon God's word. And that's precisely how salvation comes today through faith. Okay. And that's what they did in the book of Acts. And so we read in Acts 2, 36, 37, 38 and following, that as they heard Peter speaking, okay, they accepted what he said. They were pricked in their heart, means they accepted what he said. They trusted him because Peter had displayed and the other apostles that they were indeed men speaking from heaven because of the miracles they were able to do on that day. So they trusted in what they were saying and then they acted upon it. They said, what shall we do? What shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you for the remission of your sins. So next important step here is to believe and obey. Okay. The next step is to repent or perish. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5, Jesus makes it clear that except a man repents, then he will, he will indeed perish. What does it mean to repent? repent? Repent means to simply change the way you think. When we repent, we change the way we think. You might say, well, I thought you, when you repent, you change the way you live. Well, if you change the way you think, then you will change the way that you live and react to God. Proverbs 23, verse 7 still says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Okay. And so as we think in our heart, so will be our lives. So will be our response to God. But first, a person must change the way they think. That's why John the Baptist spoke in Matthew 3, verse 8. He said, Bring forth therefore fruits, Worthy of repentance. That's it. If a person begins to think the way that God wants him to think, then he will bring forth a life. He will bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. See, Did you know that those in the book of Acts who come to Christ, they changed not just their way of thinking, they changed their religion. They did. So many of these folks changed their religion. For example, in Acts 6 and verse 7, it says that a great company of the priests, priests that served under another religious system, under the old Mosaic law, a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. They heard, they accepted what they heard. They trusted what they heard. And they were convicted by it. Therefore, they changed their way of thinking and they were obedient to the faith. In Acts 8, we read of the eunuch, Acts 8, 26, and he had traveled a long way from Ethiopia to go and worship uh, the Lord. He was already involved in another religion, but because of what he heard and because he trusted what he heard, it made sense to him. He connected it to the Old Testament scriptures. Then he acted upon uh, what he heard. We must change the way we think, repent or perish. Now, there's a great statement. Great statement. I can't tell you how many times you've read this. I can't tell you how many times I've read this. But it's still a great statement. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. Says that godly sorrow produces repentance 
which leads to salvation without regret. How do you get to that point in life where you have no regret? Well, you're just you're in a habit of repentance. You're in a habit of godly sorrow. That's how you live a life without regret. Look at that statement. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Ever watched a person who knows what they're doing make pizza? Starting from the dough? Starting from a lump of dough? And they get that lump of dough out there and they press on it, press on it, press on it. Before long, they're tossing it up in the air. It comes back down and then they start beating on it, beating on it, beating on it. And then they toss it up in the air again. It comes back down. They beat on it, beat on it some more. Until finally they've got the... They've got the product that they want. Well, that relates to this word, godly sorrow. And the idea of it producing repentance. See? Our godly sorrow beats us down. See? When we consider what our sin does to God, then internally... It beats us down. It presses down upon us until finally we are absolutely driven to change our way of thinking. What causes that change of what? What causes that godly sorrow in the first place? Because you've exposed yourself to the Word of God. You've exposed yourself to the goodness of God. You've exposed yourself to the cross. And as you expose yourself to the cross, and then you examine yourself in light of what the Scripture says about but about sin and what it does to us in our relationship to God. When you put all that together, it brings to our hearts a godly sorrow that beats down on and presses down upon us until finally we just must have that change of mind. So the next step here is to repent or perish. And then quickly to the next step, confess and be blessed. Matthew 10, Jesus says, Notice this is what the Lord says. Go back to Hebrews uh, 2 and verse 3. This great salvation was first spoken by the Lord and the, then those who heard. Well, here we are. Jesus is speaking about salvation. He said, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. The word confess means to say the same thing, to speak the same thing. When we confess our faith in Christ before others, we are primarily saying that, that we believe the same thing that God has said about His Son. We say the same thing that Christ claims for Himself. That we are confessing that. We're saying, Jesus, yes, what you have claimed and who you are, I am confessing this openly. It is a pledge, this good confession here that Jesus is calling upon us to make it is a pledge it is a vow it is a pledge for us to embrace all that Jesus is we're all in this is what the good confession is all about we are stating to the world that we are all in that whatever it is that the Lord is calling upon me to do or to stay away from then I'm there I'm there I'm committed I am committing to you oh Lord and so this is where honesty comes in this is where honesty comes in. Many of us have made that good confession and gone on to be baptized, but are we living up to the good confession? Because when we made that good confession that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, 
then did we realize, did we realize that we were saying, hey, Lord, I am all in. I am pledging myself. I am making a vow to you that from now on, you're it. You're my Lord. And if we are honest, if, if our word is our bond, then we will stick to it or we will repent and come back home uh, to him. The next step is to believe and be baptized. Mark 16, 16. The Lord clearly said before he left this earth, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Notice these words that we've been using here that we've been looking at in Jesus' uh, statements. Eternal life. Eternal life. Confessing before my Father. And here, will be saved. This is what we're after. This is what we need. This is, this is our main goal is to be saved. And we've already reviewed several times here what the Lord means by, by belief. Okay. Accepting what God says. Trusting what God says and acting upon what God says. When a person is at that point in their faith, then they are then ready to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins because they are acting upon what the Lord has told them to do. You see that? There is a great little statement in Romans 6 and verse 11 that, um, that just because... Um, I want to. Romans 6 verse 11. It, Paul says, here, here, here you are in Christ. He says, here's your state. We, we are dead to sin and alive to God. Okay. In fact, if you just start reading Romans 6, 1 and just come on down to verse 11 and 12, that's one of the main themes there is that we have died to sin and now we're alive to God. When did that happen? When did that happen? When did we become dead to sin and alive to God? Well, it's right there in Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ, Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness of life, there it is. We've come to life. We died to sin in repentance. Now we have come to life. We are dead to sin and alive to God because we have submitted to his, to his commands of baptism. And then the final step is to help other people. Help other people. Matthew 25, again the words of Jesus as he gives us kind of a panoramic view of the judgment day. Matthew 25, 34 says, He will look to those on His right hand and He will say, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's salvation. That's, those are the very words we want to hear on that day. Come, come. Don't you want to hear those words? Come, come. And Jesus goes on to say, those that will hear these words are those who have helped the the hungry and the thirsty and the strangers and those who have given comfort to those who are sick and those who are naked and those even in prison. Okay. He gives about six categories there. But what he's saying there is if we want to inherit the kingdom, we must be about helping other people because our Lord, Acts 10.38, went about doing good himself. 
These are the seven steps that you see from the words of Jesus himself. And these very words that Jesus spoke was followed up and obeyed in the book of Acts and also written about and commented upon even by those who wrote the rest of the New Testament. I hope you can see that when we speak about salvation or any matter pertaining to God, we have no desire to bring out our opinions, but just let Jesus himself tell us. And if we will listen, then we'll be able to see. I hope and pray that if you are a Christian this morning, that you will use these seven steps to talk to your friends, your co-workers, your family members. Help them to see. It's nothing new. Thank the Lord it's nothing new. This is the old gospel that will save the soul. It may very well be that you've been listening and you trust what the Bible has to say and now you're ready to act upon what the Lord has said to you. Will you come to Him? Will you act upon it? One of the steps He asks us to go through is that of being baptized. Repent, confess, be baptized. Baptism is so beautiful. It, it gives us a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. As, as He died for us, He was buried and then raised the third day. Even so, when we come to Christ in, in humility to be baptized, so we are stating to the world, we are dying to sin. We're being buried in this water and we're going to be raised to walk in that newness of life. We're going to be dead to sin and alive to God. Will you come this morning as we stand together, as we sing today?